0: I'm Mandy Curley, the director of membership at Christchurch Gladesville. Welcome to our second episode of Sermon Seasonings. The idea of this podcast is to reflect on the passage we looked at over the weekend, and to dig deeper into some of the detail, some of the extra things the preacher would have loved to have said, but for time reasons had to leave out. We're hoping that this will be a window into the richness of Scripture and the lovely, flavoursome parts that we don't always get to examine carefully. On Sunday, we considered 1 Samuel chapters 18 and 19. As it happened, we had two different preachers for our morning and evening gatherings. And in the morning, Seb focused a little more on chapter 18. And we saw that there is a big question as to who is in charge of your life. Is God the rightful king? Whereas in the evening, Simon focused a little bit more on chapter 19, and the attempts that Saul made on David's life, but raised the similar question, who is the kingmaker? Saul thinks he is, but the reality is that God is, and we need to bow to him. So let me welcome both Seb and Simon to the podcast. Great to have you here. Hi,
1: Mandy. Great to be here too.
0: Excellent. So uh, Seb, uh, you were here in the morning.
2: That's
0: it. And Simon, we got to hear from you at EC. Yep. Excellent. Well, let's get stuck into it. We had two sets of eyes looking at the same chapter. So what stood out for each of you personally? Seb, you got to go first on Sunday. So how about we let you go first today as well?
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Um, In terms of what stood out, I was thinking about that again today. And I think the thing, like I almost thought if I did the whole sermon again and just thought of what's what's something that still ties together this whole passage and i think that's one of the challenges that both simon and i have felt was it's just a, it's a big section and there's a lot in it uh, but i thought if i did it all again maybe even the theme of things that are not or things are not always as they seem and picking up on the spirit of god theme in chapter 19 in particular but you see it in 18 as well with the evil evil kind of harmful spirit with Saul that the hidden hand of god is up kind of steering the direction, uh, even when Saul the king has his visible hand trying to hang on to his kingdom. Um, So maybe just to remind you of of the two chapters, uh, things are not always as they seem. So Saul's own son chooses to be loyal to David over his own father. Um, The song that the women sang is probably not sinister at all, um, even though Saul thought it was. The bad state of mind or mood that Saul has is apparently actually has a supernatural origin to it from God. Um, Prophecy is not what we expect. We expect prophecy to be words words, uh, that God's given Saul and yet here he is throwing a spear. David is able to hit Goliath with a small little stone, but Saul can't hit little David with three attempts of throwing his massive spear in the palace, the safest place in Israel. Um, Saul's word to David in eighteen seventeen only be valiant and fight the Lord's battles. That's exactly what Saul at uh, what David is doing. He's fighting without swords, the Lord's battle by not fighting at all. Um, uh, and then it kind of keeps going. The da- daughter of Saul, she's expected to be a snare to David, uh, by Saul, and yet she ends up being a snare to Saul. Uh, and ends up being the one who tells David, "Get out as quickly as you can." then there's the impossible task of go and get a hundred uh, foreskin philistine foreskins, and it turns out that that's a low bar request, so things are not always as they seem. Saul's oath, as the Lord lives he shall not be put to death is exactly right; he spoke more truly than he thought. The watch team turned out not to be so great at watching. The lump in David's bed turns out not to be David at all. The three lots of servants of the king end up joining the wrong team in Naoth. The king of Israel is no match for an old man, Samuel, the prophet. And why the whole thing, why, just shows you that the spirit of God is at work and things are not always as they seem. So that's what stood out for me over and over again, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and really challenging in that great refreshing way that God's word is new every morning, isn't it? And there's always more for us to to learn and gather from it.
1: Mm. What about
0: you, Simon? Uh, What really struck you as you prepared this passage?
1: I think what really struck me was the sovereignty of God over both David and Saul's situation, Um, and particularly the fact that uh, chapters 18 and 19 seem to function as a little bit of a tipping point. Um, I almost imagined it, um, a bit of a kind of scientific way of thinking about it, um as a graph with kind of graphing across two diagonal axes crossing and you can see kind of the rise of David and the decline of Saul um and this is seems kind of like the point at which they intersect in those four um incidents in the in the royal household um and, and really from that point onwards, it's a pretty poor relationship you've got between David and Saul um i think also the kind of there's a there's a really interesting little irony to what's going on in the in the passage and that we um as readers have the privilege of picking up that irony in the in the history of it all in uh, that uh Saul didn't quite have the privilege of seeing um particularly in the way that he brings David into his household um he knows that uh the kingdom is going to be given to his neighbor that's that's something that he, he's already been told by Samuel um but he doesn't realize that he's bringing that neighbor so to speak into the royal house um and it's only really as, as chapters eighteen and nineteen progress that he we kind of get, watch him realise that. So I think that kind of realisation of what's going on and trying to communicate that realisation—it's um, a bit of a hackneyed phrase—but the realisation of being on the wrong side of history um, that that goes on for Saul is actually a really interesting challenge to us as well. Um, you know, are we realising as as we come to God's word that uh, in a sense humans? By themselves are on the wrong side of God's history, um, and it's only because of Jesus that we're brought back onto the right side of it. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, it's just a kind of an interesting little trajectory, thinking about the rise of David, the, the downfall of Saul, and how these passages kind of sit at that pivot point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful, Simon, Simon, as we think about that and think about the way that all of that is encapsulated in, as you said, the sovereignty of God and the way that He is working out His purposes as. David ascends and as Saul uh, descends from that position. So thank you both for sharing with us a bit about how the passage struck you personally. I guess the other thing that we've been doing in this podcast is it's really helpful to hear from each of you something that you would have loved to have included if you had time but actually had to stay on the cutting room floor. So I thought given we've got two of you here that we'll look at a couple each and we'll take turns but feel free to weigh in on the others if you've got something that you'd like to say. Um, So let's kick off with you Seb. What did you leave out?
2: Well, I thought uh, a curious link between Simon and I's sermon this uh, past weekend and the last one that we preached in our series in Acts. Um, It was just curious that here we are in the Old Testament and we've got Saul and he's such a tragic figure in these two chapters. And uh, something that stood out to me was he keeps speaking to himself or thinking to himself and and in a sense he's on show even though it's him and David it's really we're being taken into his interior thinking and what we see is just a king who's filled with fear and anger and paranoia and torment and murderous thoughts and plotting and ruminating and scheming and distancing himself from getting potential blame and sending and orchestrating and controlling and escalating and taking things into his own hands. And then we kind of throw back to our Acts sermon on Acts chapter 8, where Saul, they're a different Saul, is up against the church and he's the one who's going door to door, trying to put a stop to the gospel spreading. And it's just uh, interesting that between those two passages, Behind it all, you have a sovereign God who's achieving His purposes, even when it looks the other way around. Even when it looks as though Saul persecuting the church in Jerusalem's bad news, no, it's actually the means through which the gospel's getting out. Um, and not only that, but it gets better. Like within one chapter's time, what, what's where's Saul? New Testament Saul. He's on his face, encountered by the risen, anointed, uh, king enthroned. And he's having this conversation. And ironically, just like Saul in the Old Testament, he's the one who's going to be used by the Spirit of God to prophesy, to to be a voice. Um, It's like this ironic twist on the whole thing. But whereas Saul, in a sense, it, it becomes judgment. Saul, New Testament, Saul, Paul becomes transformed by the Spirit of God and in the hands of God is able to be a weapon for the kingdom. And not just that, he ends up jumping out a window as well. So check out 2 Corinthians 11.
0: Uh, that's Yeah, isn't that interesting, that comparison together that's there of those two souls who are very, very different. Now, Simon, you made an observation uh, a bit earlier of the way that it wasn't just that... um, Yeah, I guess, as we think about Saul's daughter, Michal, there's kind of that whole situation of things are not always as they seem and there's sort of a curiousness to the way that she's used by God. Did you want to share a bit with us about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Um, I think it's almost, uh, we can always sum it up as Michal's lie, that uh, in chapter 19, verse 11, when Saul sends agents to David's house to to try and kill him, uh, Michal warns David. Um, She does this thing that, that seems really commendable and that is you know, indicative of her her fidelity to God's king, or God's incoming king. Um, but then Saul asks Michal, well, why did you deceive me? Why did you send my enemy away, um, allowing him to escape? And she answers him, he said to me, as in David said to me, let me go, why should I kill you? Um, which is really contra- uh, clearly contradicted by uh, verse 11 and 12. So it's, it's particularly, I think, interesting that she lies there and then, if we track Michal, she she reappears in two Samuel six, um, and as David uh, approaches Jerusalem, bringing to the ark, ark into Jerusalem, is dancing before it, um, we read that she despised David in her heart, um, and ultimately God's pronouncement after that is that she had no child till the day of her death, um, which particularly at, that, at any time, but particularly at that time, is uh, you know quite a significant pronouncement. Um, so Michal as a figure seems to be this. It almost seems like there's a bit of Saul in her which as Saul's daughter it, it it kind of makes sense but it almost in attitude um there's this level of resentment and i think that resentment of david that we almost that we see in her in 2 samuel 6 and that little bit of duplicitousness that's flagged earlier on is almost this kind of shadow of saul that that's continuing over over david's reign um and not in any kind of material sense in that, you know, David is king and Saul by this point is, is dead. But in, just in terms of the attitude, um, yeah, so I don't have in a sense a, the answer of, well, why is she like this? That's not not something that we're really given because she only just kind of pops in and out. But I think it's an, it's an interesting question that while on the surface of it in chapter 19, her, her attitude seems to be very commendable, and I, I think she's presented in quite a commendable way, um, it doesn't stay that way. She does seem to become quite bitter towards David, um, yeah, and and seems to be uh, condemned for that by God.
0: Yeah, and that's a really interesting kind of that that is that seasoning, that extra morsel that's helpful for us to kind of think and reflect on as we wonder about the significance of that and her actions. So thanks for that, Simon. Seb.
2: You certainly certainly feel like it's a bad sign when there's an idol in the house. Like you can't you can't mm, skip over definitely. that person, not sort of be like, "Hang on, why is there an idol in David and Paola's house?"
0: Oh, very true, very true. Seb, was there anything else that you had to leave out that you would have loved to have shared?
2: Uh, I just would have loved to put in more kind of, kind of cross-references to other places um, that naturally kind of come up. So I'll list off just a, a few that I would have loved to throw in. Um, in Matthew ten thirty five, Jesus says, I've come to set a man against his father. Well, isn't that exactly what Jonathan's going through with Saul, um, with the anointed king? Uh, David's innocence is on show uh, and Saul's hatred. Um, Saul still hates him, and that's similar to the the, um, the Gospels where the authorities, the religious authorities of Jesus' day, they're the ones who hate Jesus, despite the fact that he only does good. Um, David's success reminds us of Psalm 1, three that in all that he does, he prospers, the man of Psalm 1. Uh, also reminds us of Joseph, interestingly. So um, Genesis 41, 38, Pharaoh says, Can we find a man like this in whom there is a spirit of God? And then he says to Joseph, there's none like you. You shall be over my house. So there's another kind of success story because of the spirit of God in someone. Um, I was disappointed I didn't mention Psalm 59 in my sermon, which is all themed through songs. And that's kind of the natural song link. Um, but I would definitely mention Psalm 59 uh, and maybe even just pick up on the God who protects David uh, and uh, from enemies who rise up against him. Um, Jonah 2.9 uh, is another kind of place where we see a very unexpected deliverance story from Salvation is from the Lord. Uh, thinking of Saul's jealousy and envy, maybe a trip back to Cain and Abel, uh, where God says to Cain, uh, sin is crouching at your door, even as you are jealous and envious of your brother Abel. And uh, that's similar for what's going on for Saul as well. Uh, and lastly, um. Just the exhaustion of here's the beginning for David uh, and he's filled with the spirit. He's anointed as king and yet tribulations and trials follow. And we're reminded the same was true for Jesus for three years of his life, nonstop opposition. Uh, but Acts fourteen twenty-two reminds us the same thing. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God too.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. And I guess we really see there some of the tapestry of Scripture and the way that different stories are woven together and the links between them um, and the riches of the way that it's all tied together. So, yeah, that's really helpful. What about you, Simon? What else was left behind on the cutting room floor?
1: Um, I think the other kind of uh, big element of the passage that I'd love to have spent more time on uh, is the evil or harmful spirit. Um, so we're introduced to the evil, or humble spirit really early on in chapter 18, in the first kind of spearing incident um, where Saul tries to kill David, um, but it, it persists right through. Um, and then we have the Spirit of God intervene right at the end of chapter chapter 19, um, and Saul's left there, kind of prophesying naked on the ground in, in quite a quite an explicit and, and in some ways grotesque image of, of this great king, you know, the king like the nations, um, who's there lying on the ground. Um, and to my mind, this is kind of a, a bit of a theme within Scripture which um, I think we, we tend to read through the lens of the Enlightenment. Um, and what I mean by that is that uh, we look at the spiritual um, and particularly God's intervention in, in, in the physical through the spiritual um, with a little bit of latent resistance. Um, we grow up being taught that uh, we need things to be observable and physical and measurable. And when we encounter something that's not so measurable uh, in Scripture, whether it be here or thinking back to our, you know, our time looking at Acts, um, whether it be the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts, we become a little bit uncomfortable with it and we don't quite know how to handle it. Um, so particularly in this case with the evil and harmful spirit, uh, we, we're, I think we're thrown off by it. It's almost as if, how, how could God use an evil spirit to do his work? Um, and doing a bit more digging that, it kind of re- reappears the evil spirit in Judges 9. God sends an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. Um, again, the evil spirit doing God's work to bring, bring judgment. Um, so I think, I think it's an interesting kind of dynamic that exists there. Um, And I guess a question for reflection, which I'd have liked to have spent more time on is, well, are we looking for any excuse to discount or disprove or minimise God's work in the spiritual and the miraculous in his word? Um, Because it's something we're uncomfortable with. You know, do we have a kind of inbuilt bias against it? And how might that then be shaping our thinking about passages where God does intervene? Um, Because, of course, God does do the miraculous all the time. You know, he takes people from death to life. He brings, gathers people to himself who are otherwise hostile to him. Um, So we know he does the miraculous. The the fact that we follow him is evidence of that. Um, But I think when the miraculous appears in the Bible, particularly with explicit reference to spirits, um, we are a bit uh, cautious possibly to take God at his word.
0: Yeah, and actually you've totally anticipated uh, the one question that we had from the floor. So I'll put the question to us and then I'll get Seb to weigh in on it and then you can come back as well and help us to keep thinking through that because someone uh, wrote in and said, I'm surprised to read an evil spirit from God in 1 Samuel 18 verse 10 and similar in 19 verse 9. Usually evil spirit is associated with Satan. How are we to think about this? I always thought that God only gave a good spirit, the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, And whoever's asked it, like spot on. I, I think that's the right response in a sense to be surprised. And one of the great things I think of taking... Um, whole books of the Bible and going through them chapter at a time, verse by is you kind of just can't skip over the parts that don't neatly fit our system. Um, so I think it is a great question. Um, and I think it's a natural thing to wrestle with and something that I know Simon and I have wrestled with this, these past couple of weeks as well. Um, uh, I'll start with, if you were there, I don't know if the person was there at the intro night, but John uh, Woodhouse had some great comments uh, on this uh, little verse that comes up a couple of times. Uh, so I'll start with what he says and then I'll just add my little bit to it too. Um, He, he reckoned that the evil spirit is not so much evil kind of um in terms of moral terms, but rather an indication of the misery and the distress and the harm that this spirit or mood will cause. Saul. So kind of thinking Hebrew translation and the translations into English do very little. And he's observing that. And his comment is, uh, so evil spirit, in his opinion, is a punishment from God for Saul, uh, a spirit that is not going to do Saul any good. And in a sense, God has rejected him. Uh, God, God has given Saul himself. Uh, he's giving him up. Um, So that's that I found that quite helpful engaging with that. Um, My own view is um, I almost I don't want to flatten out the text. I want to wrestle with, well, maybe the harder translation is that it is an evil spirit. Um, And what we've got to then wrestle with is how can that be? Uh, I think in either case, whether it's evil or harmful, what the author, what Samuel's picking up on is he's throwing not a political lens on the situation, not a psychological lens, but a theological lens. And it serves the purpose to elevate God's sovereign kingly rule over the situation, even over the evil spirits. Um, And so we see that even as Saul's got no control, God has all the control and he's the one working out his good purposes. And so I think in that sense, um, God in his kingly rule He is able to work through even strange ways, bringing about, using the irrationality of evil to bring about self-destruction. And so he sends a spirit who's going to do exactly what what will achieve his purpose. And I think we do actually see that right across the Bible. Whether it's the treachery of Joseph's brothers bringing God's purposes in line, uh, bring um, Abraham's descendants out of famine. Uh, Whether it's Job's situation, where we see that God sovereignly lets go of the leash to a degree and lets Satan's uh, answers Satan's request to have Job's uh, harm his family, take away his kids, take away his health. Um, we've got to wrestle with that. In that case, Job is not being punished. It's not a judgment. And that's quite clear. Um, but even Acts 4, we see that the gospel itself, the murder of Christ was according to God's definite plan. And so whilst all of the moral accountability lay with Herod and Pilate and Gentile soldiers and the peoples of Israel, God was still able to achieve his sovereign purpose in and through that, even though that makes us blow our mind and go, how can God do that maintain his perfect holiness and goodness and yet at the same time work it out despite the responsibility of sinful people
0: yeah really helpful reflections Uh, simon did you want to add anything to that
1: um i don't don't think there's much to add um apart from that i think we need to uh, keep in mind that uh evil spirits or harmful spirits the spiritual that is opposed to god um Still recognizes and interacts with God in the sense that James two talks about. You know, even the demons believe that there is one God, um, so there is an interaction there, and that we know God is sovereign over both the physical and the spiritual. So it's it's not as if kind of God's sovereign over us, and that's the you know the kingmaker status that that we see uh, in one Samuel eighteen and nineteen. Uh, God is sovereign over the physical and the spiritual. He's sovereign over everything um so the the notion that he could repurpose something that is evil in order to achieve his good purposes I, I don't think we should necessarily be um surprised necessarily that he has the power to that i think we should always be cautious though when we we look, see that and certainly kind of question our own motivations with it are, you know are we twisting something here for our own purposes to try and make you know evil seem more acceptable um or are we actually seeing god uh using evil for good. And he certainly uses human sinfulness to achieve his good purposes. Um, the cross is such uh, an important example of that. Uh, so, the fact that he would use a, an evil or harmful spirit to achieve his purposes, I I don't think it's necessarily um, kind of out of the ballpark um, for the way God works. Uh, but also, I think we need there's it's kind of a double edged sword in that god's achieving his good purposes but also he's using that as judgment on saul um you know, Saul's, god is god's spirit has uh come out of Saul um and gone into david uh and in that sense we we aren't going to see God's good spirit in Saul harming him um so the fact that it's an evil or a harmful spirit I think that fits with the fact that Saul has come under God's judgment and is a very clear symbol of Saul being under God's judgment um, so that it's, it's not kind of equivocal. Um, God's not messing with Saul. Saul is under God's judgment.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Can I say thanks so much to both of you, Seb and Simon, uh, both for your work yesterday uh, and for helping us to dig deeper into the passage today? Uh, It's so great to keep thinking about what God's word says and what it means for us. So that brings us to the end of episode two of Sermon Seasonings. Tune in next week to hear me chat with Dave about 1 Samuel chapters 20 and 22. Bye. See ya.